This morning we have a real privilege. Luke is here with us. You guys, many of you know Luke. Luke and Lauren uh, give leadership to the congregation over the mountain there in the blessed valley of Fisher. Luke, welcome. We're Thanks, glad man. to have you. Keen to hear what God's got to say to us through you. Thanks so much, Lou. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Thought I nearly broke the stage. Um, hey, it's so good to be with you this Sunday, man. I love summer weekends in winter, hey? I mean, look, I said that in the first meeting. Everybody looked at me like, what are you, crazy? It's freezing, I get it. But I knew what was coming. I knew this was coming. And so it's magnificent. I don't know what your weekend was like. This was a kids' sport weekend for me. My wife is speaking at a ladies' uh, kind of retreat away. So she's having a lacquered jaw somewhere in um, uh, uh, Rebec Castile. And... um, I've had uh, my two oldest kids with me. I watched. I had four hockey games on Friday night, followed by five rugby games. That was Friday. <laughs> then I had two rugby games in the morning on Saturday, and another two rugby games in the afternoon on Saturday. Before we watched two rugby games as a family. Jeez, there's a bit of a theme that emerged, eh? Hey? Not every weekend is like that. This is an anomaly. But there was one moment I was so proud of. So I've got three kids. Ben is 12. He's in grade seven this year. Bethany is. Um, 10, she's in grade 5 this year, and Jack is 7 years old in grade 2, and he plays scrum half for the under 9 A's, 7 years old, under 9, right, that's my boy, and uh, anyway, so there's a moment this weekend where we're playing rugby against some very, very big boys, and uh, Jack, I, I gave him the pep talk before the game, I said, my boy, when you, work on the, when you walk on the field, there's one question you need to answer for yourself, are you a lion or are you a sheep? Just got to choose. So Jack says, I'm a lion dad. I'm a lion dad. What does a lion do? Lion eats sheep, dad. That's what a lion does, dad. Okay. So are you ready? Here comes a, here comes a moment. There's, no, no, sorry. Let me just frame it first. Okay. The way it works in rugby, in the early parts of the game, you get a penalty. You get your biggest, strongest, meanest ball carrier. You give him the ball, and you make him run hard at the opposition to strike fear into their hearts, right? The bravest of the brave and the biggest of the strongest needs to stand up and make a tackle in that moment, right? Into Jack Harper. There's the runner. Here he comes. There's the runner. There's Jack. Boom. Jack is put on his bum. I won't lie. Go, Cody. Don't worry about this, Don. The rest is the rest is other kids. Don't worry about that. You can delete that. It's only one you need to worry about there. My boy was so brave, all of seven years old. Where was the rest of the team? I don't know. I'll take it up with the coach in the week. But uh, there he was, so brave. I hope you've had a good weekend. And uh, I hope uh, Jack's example is going to inspire us in some ways to be brave and to face some parts of ourselves today that we maybe would rather not face but need to face because there's some things we need to address in all of our lives today. We're going to talk tough as we work through the book of James. I don't know if you know this, but uh, if you're visiting this church, we as church, as Common Ground, have been working through the book of James. It's a brilliant book in the New Testament, and um, in fact, written by Jesus' brother. If you're new to the church and you're new to the Bible, you've got to ask yourself, what, is it, what would it take for one of your siblings to worship you as the Lord of the universe? What would it take? That's what happened. A, a miracle, like how about uh, uh, being seeing you as resurrected on the other side of crucifixion? That's what it took for James. I mean, there was a time when James literally came to Jesus. We read about it in our Mark series. So James and the rest of Jesus' family came to him and said, I, I, 
apologize to everyone. I'm so sorry. He's out of his mind. He's a lunatic. Then he, then he saw Jesus crucified. He thought, oh, no, look what's going on. And he resurrected. He worshipped the Lord. Now, James, Jesus' brother, is writing to a church, and he shares, he shares it's, it's almost like life hacks. You know what I mean when I say life hacks? It's wisdom for life, how to do life well. That's what James is writing about. These are hacks for how to do life well. We've broken the book of James down into four mini-series. We're in the second one right now, and we're looking at the subject of real faith. It's six weeks long, and we're in week three. Six weeks long looking at real faith. And the big idea of today's message from James is this. If you're writing notes in your James booklet, real faith leads to a lifestyle of real worship. Real faith leads to a lifestyle of real worship. Real faith leads to a lifestyle of real worship. Now, what James is doing is James is contrasting fake faith or imposter faith with real faith. He's contrasting these two things, and he's trying to show us, hey, that the real deal, authentic faith leads to a lifestyle of real worship. Let's read together from James chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 26 and 27. That's our text for the day. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack the big idea and three points that James leads us through. James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Let's take courage and let's face ourselves as we face the Word of God. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, written all those years ago, yet inspired by you, would you speak to us this morning? Speak to us of all that Christ has done and wrought within our lives through the gospel. And because of that, how we can live and who we can be. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Our big idea for the day, I wonder if you could see it in the text there, was real faith leads to a lifestyle of real worship, right? Where do we see this in the passage as you look at the scriptures over there? And the answer to that question where we see it in the passage is the R word. I don't know if you saw it in there, the R word, the word religion, right? Many Christians don't like the word religion and uh, kind of kind of juxtapose these two ideas of religion versus relationship as religion, as kind of rules and regulations, things that you do for God, but relationship being a walk with God and play these two things against each other. But James is not using the word religion in that sense at all. In fact, when James writes this letter and he uses the word religion, the word religion is the closest English word we have to it is probably worship. James could just as easily, or this could just as easily have been translated, if anyone thinks he is a true worshiper. James is describing the life of a true worshiper. How do you know your faith is real, James is saying. This is what the life of a true worshiper looks like. He's addressing fake faith and contrasting fake faith with true followership in Jesus. In a sense, James is saying, hey, how do you know your faith is real? For James, it's clear that worship is so much more than singing. Worship, uh, singing is uh, magnificent. Da, uh, Heather, you, your team, you guys led us so well. We worship, we come under 
the word of God in song, and we worship, our hearts lift, we see God for who he is, and we're changed. It's glorious. But, but, but that's not only what worship is. Worship is more than singing. For James, it's clear in this text that worship overflows into every facet of our lives. It flows into all areas of life. All of life, in a sense, for James, is worship. Worship overflows into every facet of our lives, into every conversation around the bride fire on Friday nights. In the workplace on Monday morning, in the family table, in every facet of life. And James gives us, in a sense, three markers of authentic faith, of real faith. These are three markers James gives us, three evidences of the reality of your faith. I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I don't think James is trying to sum up, if, if you do these three things, then you've... But these are two that were relevant to James's context. And I think if we're honest, they're relevant to our context and our moment in history as well today. And so, so we're going to look and unpack these three things. Before we do, it's worth asking the question, why would James write this? What is James's agenda here? What's his goal? And, and the answer is in the first question that he asks. If anyone thinks he's a true worshiper, it's probable that in this context, there were some who thought they were in, but they were not. The, the faith that looked real was not real. It's almost like they're so close. I mean, they're in earshot of the letter. They're that, they're that close. It's going to be read out. They're going to be there. They're going to be listening. He's writing to them. They think they're in, but they're not. Uh, it's almost like they're, they're, about, they're, they're like a ship that thinks it's in the harbor, but it's actually about to crash against the harbor wall. It's right there, the harbor wall. You're, you're in proximity. You're close enough, but, but not in the safety of the harbor. And James is writing to say, hey, just, just give thought, give sober assessment to yourself. Um, it's not faith by proximity here. It's an authentic faith that's alive in you that manifests itself in how you live and how you, how you do life. Now, now, James gives us these three things. And one way we can think about them is like a kind of spiritual checkup, right? Like you'd go to the doctor, maybe you do an annual checkup. There's certain things you need to just check your, you know, check your pulse. Hey, how's my heart beating, you know? Then you need to probably check your sugar, blood pressure. That's another good one, right? And, and these things, these different things will almost give you a window into how healthy you are. If, if, firstly, it'll tell you if you're alive or not, right? You check and there's no heartbeat. There's an indicator, right? And so let's think of this morning. It's almost James saying, hey, look at these three things. Let's do a vitality check on our spiritual selves, right? And James gives us three things to check. How are you doing in these three areas? Now, we're going to have to be like Jack, my son here. We're going to have to be brave. We're going to have to look ourselves in the mirror. We're going to have to be honest. Is that okay? Let's do that. And, and worth saying, last thing by way, by way of intro, we just, just, um, we're not going to deep dive too much on each of these three areas because actually James double clicks a little later in the journey and he's actually listed some of it before already. And we're going to land by taking these three things and putting them together and applying them as to how they work in our lives as a whole. And so let's look at the first thing James says. Hey, real faith leads to a lifestyle of real worship. And one of the ways you can see that is through a person who's of real faith lives with considered speech. Considered speech, right? And the first thing that he says to us, we read in verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue. Now what I have here is I have a bridle. And you can see by the look on my face that I have no idea how it works. But it is a bridle nonetheless, right? And uh, this goes on a horse's head. And this is what James is speaking of. I, I, probably this is a whole lot more sophisticated than the one that James is saying. I can imagine if you're a horse person looking at me, you've, I've probably got it the wrong way around. Is it upside down? I don't know. But, uh, but I'm guessing 
that you can kind of clip pieces of leather onto there. That's the rider. You're making photographs of me um, with this thing. Um, with the, with the, um, you can clip them on here, right? And, and the idea being that once this is on the horse and there is a rider, you're able to pull left and right and steer the direction the horse is going. The point that James is making is that the bridle enables control over the tongue. He's, he's saying you need to be able to give to your, your tongue is under control and not out of control. Does anyone here know what I'm talking about? Okay, you've been there, right? No elbowing married couples, friends, parents, siblings. <laughs> We've all been there, right? The tongue not under control, not considered in our speech. I remember many, many years ago, I was at a bra. I don't have to think many years to find an example, but this one came to mind. And uh, we're sitting around the fire, and I'm like, uh, I'm new in this kind of friendship circle I've been invited into. And, uh, and the evening's gone on a little bit, and uh, we're sitting around the fire, and um, someone shares a joke. And it reminds me of this joke I'd heard my mate told me. And I shared this joke. And it was a context where m most people were not people of faith. And so no one batted an eye and everybody laughed. But it's like the moment the words and the punchline of the joke left my mouth, I just wish I could take it back. I realized this was like coarse. This was rude. And it was inappropriate for someone who's a follower of Jesus. And I couldn't take it back. Have you ever had that moment where you say the thing and you just want to put it in, but it can't come back in? Every day. <laughs> uh, yeah, we need our bridle, right? What is unconsidered speech? Yes, coarse joking, gossip. Maligning another one's character, lying, angry words, things that come out of our mouths that uh, will tear people down and bring the name of Christ into disrepute. And, and the problem with these things is they're not just the tip of tongue more often than not, but they're windows into what's happening in our hearts. It's not just a coarse joke. It's like a, like a compromise in order to be liked and accepted into a crowd because of a heart that says, I really need you to like me. Please let me in. I have no friends. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that serious. But it's, it's a window in. It's not just a white lie. It's, um, it's I need you to think about me as someone who always gets it right. I can't but tell you that the thing you asked me to do, I haven't even thought about doing it yet. It's a window. It's our words are a window into something deeper in our hearts. Where Jesus says it like this, Mark chapter 7. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters into his heart, since it enters not into his heart, but to his stomach and is expelled. And verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For, uh, for, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Your words are not just here in your tongue, but they come and they're the fruit of the fears that we carry in our hearts, the longings and the desires, the insecurity, the idols and the things we love. These things manifest themselves in our words. And, uh, and most times in life, we're able to kind of filter them and keep them in check, right? 
And then you suddenly you get under the stress and you get under pressure. I don't want to punish this tree. Or maybe not, maybe it's not stress and pressure. I think for many of us, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's in your relationships of safety, in your relationships of trust, where, where people really know you, that's where you, the stuff slips that often, you, you know, you never say in church on Sunday, but then it slips out and you, you talk in a way in, in your marriage, maybe to your, to your husband, to your spouse, to your friends, to your siblings, to your parents, you know. And we say things, we're often, we're often our speech is the most uncontrolled with the people we love and trust the most. Anybody ring true for you? The critical thing here is when you're in that argument or when you're in that place of stress and heat, it's not that that person brings it out of you. It's not their fault. It's that that thing was alive in your heart in the first place, Jesus says. And it's often the stress or the safe relationship of love that exposes and brings to the light the, the dark stuff that was lurking there all along that needs to be dealt with. And so what do we do with this? Well, James is not saying just filter better, just try harder. That's not the point at all that James is saying. He's saying when this stuff comes to light, and, and I'm going to steal a little bit from many weeks' time. James chapter 5, verse 16. What should we do? James says this. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, this is where courage comes in. This is where you've got to be like seven-year-old Jack in front of Goliath running at him, you know. If that's you, and there's a gap, a gap between your private speech and your public speech, and it's an issue to the light. You've got to find a mate, a Christian a brother or sister that you know and you trust and you confess and you say, you know what? I need to tell you about an area of sin in my life. My tongue has not been under control and there's been some stuff. There's been some temper slips. There's been some lies. There's been some gossip. I did this thing. I know it's scary. It's terrifying. You bring it to the light and you say, can we pray? As Lou said, as confess your sins to one another and receive forgiveness and bring it to the light? And can we ask that God would empower me and that this thing that's alive in my heart would slowly start to die, little by little it would perish? As you bring it to the light, that's what we do. Does that make sense? Okay, then why is it so difficult then? And it's so difficult because the way we speak and the way we've learned to speak Maybe for some of the younger guys, the way we've learned to also, uh, uh, we speak not just with our tongues, we, we speak with our thumbs these days, right? Social media is a place where lots of this stuff happens. We've learned these things over years and years and years of habits, you know? We think maybe even, uh, just to speak to some of us, maybe it's a style of thing that you do in conflict. You, you learn for decades and decades, you know, to, to speak a particular way. Maybe, maybe for some of you, it's like, if I just get in there early and I get real aggressive, I can shut the person down because I'm so scared that if I don't shut this down, they're gonna say something that's really gonna expose me. You, you learn that kind of coping mechanism over years and then we suddenly expect overnight that it disappears. It doesn't, but, but, but it takes time. And the critical thing is that you go on and you go on trusting Christ to keep engaging. We, these habits we form over decades don't die overnight, but they die. If you can confess them, you can bring them to the light and you can trust God to transform your speech. It's one of the critical things we do as believers. We say, Jesus, I wanna honor you with my mouth. I want my words to be a blessing to my community. Remember James is writing to a community of faith. 
the, tempt, the, the danger is that we all in our modern sort of um, post-Greek uh, way of thinking, we think everything is about me. When James says you, it's about me personally. But that you is actually the good old American word, you all. You all. Which he's, he's writing, you. When you speak, when, when words come into you, you as a community, in your life group, in your ongoing relationships with each other, these things work out in community. The critical thing, if that's you, we're going to move on now, is that you um, actually should find someone and pray together. Number one, consider speech. Number two, they all start with C, by the way. Isn't that convenient? Number two, compassionate care. Considered speech, compassionate care. And the image, the first image we looked at was the bridle, controlling, controlling the tongue. The second image I want to give you, I don't have one here because it's too big, but the image for compassionate care is the shade under your tree. The shade under your tree. I'll explain a little bit more in a second. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. James picks a theme that runs the entire length of the scriptures, the theme of care for the vulnerable. Remember, he's speaking about real faith that leads to a lifestyle of real worship. And one of the lifestyles of real worship is consider, or com- sorry, compassionate care for the vulnerable. 2,000 years ago, the widows and the orphans in society were the most vulnerable. They were those in society who couldn't own land. And because you couldn't own land in those days, you weren't able to generate all your income. It was an agrarian society. Is that right? A farming society. And, and, and a lot of income generation came through your land and your wealth. You could let it out. You could, if, you could never, if you couldn't earn that, you could never earn an income. And so a widow and orphan was particularly vulnerable because they could never earn an income. And because of that, God had said, he had woven it in since the beginning, since Exodus days already. He said, if you're going to be one of my people, you're to care for the widow. You're to care for the orphan. You're to care for the alien as well. Now, alien is not extraterrestrial. The alien, the closest word we have to alien today is a refugee. Someone who comes from a foreign land, escaping a foreign conflict or some sort of disastrous situation, he comes to look for help and life and try and rebuild a life. And God says, my people care for them. They create margin and, li- and space in their lives to care for these people. worship was so helpful today because it framed it for us and why this is so important and how this happens is because as you as a Christ follower begin to understand the length of mercy that God showed to you, you begin to correspondingly show mercy to those in need. You see, the problem is when you come to Jesus and you think, you know, Jesus got a pretty good deal when he got me, you know, because I need a little bit of mercy, but largely Jesus is scoring here. You know, he got the whole deal, a little bit of stuff to sort out. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, nobody's perfect, but when you, when you realize it took the creator God of the universe to die on a cross to bring something beautiful out of you. Wow, the lengths that God went to to pull me in. others in need and you want to show mercy to them as well it's mercy in mercy out it's it's why james says this is one of the markers and it's interesting james says to 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 visit orphans did you see that word visit there is it still on there is to this to visit orphans and widows the word visit directly translated is to see from the greek it means not just um 
an EFT or a check or something like that. It's to see that human being differently. It's like when I receive the mercy of Christ, my eyes are healed to see others in their place of need, in ways that I'd never seen them before. I can look upon them in eyes of love because I see them differently because of the mercy of Christ. Does it make sense? Again, then why is it so hard? And I think the answer to that question is because we live in a context where there's so much need that it feels overwhelming. Does it doesn't feel, it is overwhelming, right? And we're afraid often, many of us, if we start to open our lives up to the needs of others, we might just get swallowed up whole, right? We, we, you know, you, what happens? when? So, 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 we, so we end up, you know, we batten down the hatches, hatches and we draw a circle around our lives and we do this. And, and as long as we're okay, but we're so afraid of kind of opening up this thing because if it opens up, what if it all leaks out? Then Imagine Jesus did that. The big danger in this thing, it's not that a bunch of stuff leaks out, time and money and tickets and all that. The big danger is you miss an opportunity of doing what Jesus did. The one who had all the resources in the world and emptied himself, if you would, in order to lift up and bless those who had nothing. The greatest goal in the Christian life is day by day that you and I would become like Christ. How do we become more Christ-like if we don't learn day by day to increasingly become more generous carers to those who are in need? When Christ came from plenty, emptied himself for those who were in need, that now that we who are recipients of that can do the same for others. Every day of your life between now and Jesus coming to take you home is a day that you can be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. That one day when you arrive on the shores of heaven, you'll fit, you'll belong because you'll look like Jesus. That happens as we practice, as we practice, as we sow towards becoming like Christ. We need vulnerable people in our lives more than they need us because as we love and serve them, we become more like Christ. that says, no, 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 your life is about you. Find your happiness, man. Project self. Pursue your career. Knock it out of the lights. Leave a legacy, man. Jesus says, lay your life down for the sake of others. Compassionate care. Oh, the the tree. How do we do this? How do we start? There's a metaphor that really helps us. Helped me, helped us as a church in South Penn. Is you, you, you ask yourself the question, who is in the shade of my tree? Where do I start? Start with those under the shade of your tree. Who's in your life? Who are the vulnerable in your life? Who are the needy on the kind of peripheral in your life or in the center? I don't know your life. But, but who's, who's under the shade of your tree? What does it look like to care and show compassion for those first? And if you've got that nailed or there's no one in there, little by little I could start to open the branches of your tree. Do it in a sustainable way, do it in an intentional way because you take seriously becoming like Christ. A couple of um, people in our church, Peter and Cheryl, Cheryl passed away um, during COVID. She actually, she passed away from COVID, but they lived, lived the most extraordinary life. Um, not, not people uh, of means, of big financial means, 
she was an ISKCOM worker and, and she kind of manned a desk um, in the oil sector most of her life. They didn't require very sharp or anything like that. She spoke to me when I worked at the church and I'll never forget when I did a DNA coffee with him and he welcomed him into membership in our church. And he told me his life and he worked in ISKCOM and he did this and he taught and did this. And I said, how many children have you got? And he said, uh, three children, three names. Um, and then he said, oh, but we also, we adopted a few and we fostered a few along the way. Um, I said, how many? He said, 56. 56. I did a memorial during COVID. People from all over the world came through that house. How did it start? It started by... Uh, there was an abuse going on in a home down the road, and uh, they needed a foster home for a child. And he said, oh, just come, come and look at us. And he just did this little, it wasn't long, it was this, it wasn't long. And you just know what Father's Day and Mother's Day was like for these guys. Just what do they, they just simply said, what have I got? How can I use it to care for those in my life? Where are their needs? Anyway, it doesn't have to look the same for you, but start with that question. Who's under the shade of your tree? We said considered speech. We said compassionate care. Now the last one is this, consecrated lives. Consecrated lives. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father is to keep oneself unstained from the world. The third hallmark of real faith. You know what real faith is, James says? Look at your life. Real faith, this is a marker of real faith, is, is to be set apart from the world. Uh, the word there is keep unstained. Uh, another word we could use is uh, keep from being polluted is the, is the, is the same sort of Greek uh, sphere of word that's being used. Unstained, spotless, unpolluted is the language James is using. Um, and, and what he does is he's changing tack in a sense. Considered speech, an external thing. Compassionate care, an external thing. But to keep oneself um, pure of heart is an inner reality that he's speaking to now. Now he's addressing an internal thing uh, in the world of a Christ follower. The gospel changes more than our social behaviors. It changes more than our language. It changes the very purity of our hearts. And so when the biblical writers speak of the world, um, what do they mean? It, it's just a, the word means it's the negative stuff in our culture, the stuff that is ungodly in our culture that, we, that, that gets adopted and taken into our lives as Christ followers. These things, James says, pollute us. The word unstained, not polluted, is what he's, what he's doing. They're not reflective of Christ. And he says, give careful thought to what is shaping your life. Take that to heart. Give careful thought to what is shaping your life. Be more discerning about what you take in. A study was done in the States by a Christian organization named Barna who was studying Christians, young Christian millennials, 3,000 of them were surveyed. And, uh, and, and th the survey revealed this, that the average Christian millennial spends 2,800 hours a year consuming digital content, of which 153 hours is Christ-centered. The rest would be like Netflix, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm not saying this is right or this is wrong. Please, this is not a moral discussion. I'm asking the formative question. What kind of human beings that make, if, we, if our lives live, 153, 2,800, if our lives look just like everybody else's in what we're consuming and taking in, how is it that we can expect to become different than everybody else? 
and to do life through our community. I had the privilege of being in the UK recently as we advanced global. Um, time. Every two years, our movement of churches, we're a part of, Donnie and I had the privilege of being together there. We get together, all those who lead eldership teams in our movement, and we get together for a debrief. We were in the UK this year. And uh, I had a day or two before the conference started where I have a brother-in-law who lives in London, and so he took me around London. And we went to Leicester Square, which is um, some of the most prime real estate in the world. I mean, this is expensive, expensive properties. And there in Leicester Square is the M&M's store. You know what M&M's are? Right? Ah, Four stories of M&M's, wall-to-wall M&M's, like tubes of M&M's that you can just pull like this, and then M&M's come gushing out. Four stories, wall-to-wall, like red M&M's, blue M&M's, yellow M&M's, red and blue M&M's, red and yellow M&M's. I mean, if you are OCD, this is a field of dreams. <laughs> there are salted caramel M&M's, there are uh, chocolate brownie M&M's, peanut, every kind of M&M in the world, and then I get this little container to fill to bring home to my children in South Africa. Oh no, Kelly was very kind to freshly fill these up this morning for me. (laughs) These things were dead weeks ago. (laughs) And so I choose salted caramel. Yeah, yeah, that's the winner. You don't get that one in South Africa. Uh, Chocolate brownie, oh yeah, they like it, you know. And, And I had to choose very carefully what I filled my container with. Guys, we live in a world that is wall-to-wall, 24-7, spewing content, it's available to you. You are like this container. You have to choose what you allow to take in and become part of who you are and what you reject. James is saying, don't be polluted. Could you, could you imagine if I slipped, it's about the same size as a little rabbit poop. Could you imagine if I slipped some rabbit poops in here? I mean, just three or four, that's all it would take. I mean, there's probably 100 plus M&Ms. You just need three or four rabbit poops, right? And I hand these to my kids. How excited do you think they're gonna be? Yeah, a little bit less excited, hey? Uh, because, because it pollutes it. James is saying, take it, you're alive like this. We live in a world where never before have there been so as much content available to the average human being. No generation has ever in the history of the world been exposed to and consumed as much information as what you and I have in our lives. And I'm just pleading with you to say, James is saying, just take this off and and just just, just draw a line and say, I'm gonna be very careful what I'm gonna allow into my lives. I'm not not saying things are right or wrong. It's It's not an issue of right and wrong. It's saying, who am I becoming? Am I becoming more like Christ? Is my life starting to look more and more merciful, more and more grace-giving? Am I starting to reflect more and more the person of Christ, or am I reflecting more and more of my culture? Does that make sense? Okay, let's land and let's apply this to our lives. Three, let's, let's ask a few questions. How do we apply this to our lives? Number one, consider speech. We're gonna just look at three things. Number one, consider speech. Is my speech in public kind of Christian worship circles very different than in private relationships? Is there, I mean, all of us, for all of us, it's different. For everyone, we're, we're all different. Please don't, but for some of us, maybe that gap is too much. Maybe some of the conversation that happens regularly around the fire with your mates or in your relationship with your brothers and sisters, young guys, some of the biggest regrets in my life is how I grew up speaking to my sister and being spoken to, those kind of relationships. I wish 
could give anything to go back and just do those things differently. Your parents as well. Is there a gap? And, and if so, it's worth flagging. I'm not asking, we're not, we're not feeling guilty. We're not feeling shame here. We're just flagging and going, that needs to change. I need to get the gospel to come and transform my heart. What's behind there so that my speech is different? For some of us, maybe that's you. The other one is, I think, a little bit more nuanced here. James pairs together these two things, the compassionate care and then um, consecrated lives. On the one hand, you've got trying to care for the vulnerable and reach the lost in our lives. On the other hand, there's a call to keep oneself pure. Now, James puts them together. It's interesting. Jesus has asked the greatest commandment. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can almost go compassionate care. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Keep yourself pure and undefiled in your relationship with God. It's almost like James is mirroring these two great commandments. But James is calling us and saying we have to excel in both. It's not enough because we've got to concede that parts of church history, the church has been really good at loving the least but hasn't been pure and and undefiled. Or, Or times when we've been really pure but just disconnected, aloof, judgmental, and cut off from the world who desperately needs what it is we've got. James puts these two things together. He says, in your loving others and in your pursuit of justice, doesn't mean you can forget about personal holiness. You see, because it's, it's tempting in our pursuit of justice and loving the poor, you start to get critical of other people who are not as far down the road as you. And you start to say, oh, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? And, 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 and these things start to grow in our heart. And we become actually quite self-righteous. Not long before, oh, I'm not in church that regularly. No, no, no but, I'm, but I'm okay because I'm loving... James is saying, that's not okay. It's not enough to compartmentalize and excel in one and not the other. And, and then the other side, it's tempting to think, well, I'm growing in holiness. I read my Bible. I pray. I, I'm, a, I'm always at church. But actually, I haven't hung out with non-believing mates in the longest time. There's no one in the world who I'm loving toward Christ. They're, they're, I'm not loving the least. I'm not loving the lost. And James is saying, no, that's not okay either. We, we need to hold these things in tension the gospel produces a kind of fruit that is loving the lost, the least, that is holy and pure, and we hold these things in tension together. I think we can land there just thinking about that. What has James got your number on today? What has James got your number on? I don't want you to, don't go all three, just pick one. What's one thing today that having heard this, you want to go, man, I'll, I'm trusting Jesus that because of today, that day when Christ comes to fetch me and takes me home, because of this day, I'm going to be a little bit closer to that person I want to be with. What's that one thing you want to do today? Maybe as the band makes their way to the front and they're going to lead us in a prayerful response in a second, I'm trusting that we're going to be able to do business with Jesus. One of the great privileges of being a Christian that we don't have to stay the same. We don't have to hide and deny and pretend that we've all got it together. We can actually, God can call us on our junk and we can bring it to the light and go, Jesus, I'm so sorry, this thing's been in me. Will you please cleanse me and make me new and begin to transform me that day by day, I become more like you in this area. Repentance is one of the great joys of the Christian life. And so as we stand together, I want to give you a second to be able to, 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 to do some business with Jesus.
how does this work? James says in James 1.21, he says, Therefore put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Where does this gospel fruit come from? This considered speech, compassionate care, and this kind of consecrated life. Where does it come from? It's the fruit of the seed of the gospel that it comes into my heart and it grows and transforms who I am. The Spirit of God is Pentecost today, waters that seed and grows it and nurtures that and transforms our character. Let's ask Him to do that in and through us right now. Okay, so take a second. You've got kind of 10, 15 seconds to pick the one thing that God's got your number on today. Not two, not three, just the one thing. Jesus, thank you so much that as Christ followers, majority of us in this community right now, we have received the seed of the gospel put at the center of who we are. Because of that, we have a new nature and we have been filled with the Holy Spirit who is day by day working with this gospel nature to produce fruit in the likeness of Jesus. Thank you that through you, Christ, we have no guilt, we have no shame, we have no condemn, condemnation, we have grace and forgiveness and mercy and power to live different lives. Jesus, we come before you now and we ask you for grace and mercy. Well, you've got our number. Will you bring that thing to Jesus now? What's that thing you bring him? Jesus, it's this thing. I bring it to you now. I'm so sorry, Christ that I have haven't, or I, you, you throw your words there. Jesus, I bring it to you now, and I ask that you would fill me with your spirit afresh and empower me to live a life anew. And you would, Christ, begin transforming me more and more into your likeness in this particular area, Jesus. God, I need courage to voice this to a particularly close Christian friend to hear me and to pray with me, Lord. Will you give me that courage now? Jesus, I don't want to be the same a week from now, Jesus. I don't want to be the same a year from now, Jesus. Perhaps for you, you realize actually in hearing this message, these Christians, it's not just a religion that they hold to of do's and don'ts, but actually they believe supernaturally that God puts something new within them, changes their hearts and empowers and transforms them to live different lives. I want that. If that's you, you pray this prayer, you say, Jesus, would you put the seed of the gospel alive in my heart? Would you transform me, Jesus? And would you fill me with your spirit this day? and begin transforming me that I can live a life that looks like you, Christ, into my community, into my relationships, and into my world, I pray, Jesus. Christ, as we worship, would you speak to us through the words of the song? Yet not I, but through Christ 